Good morning, church. It is uh, good to be with human beings today. I've, uh, I've been literally with cats and dogs the last few days as my wife and daughter in, in New Hampshire have been there since Thursday. My neighbor's been out of town, so I've been with her cats, feeding them. Now, just a full disclosure, I haven't actually seen the cats, but, but, but food has disappeared. So I'm, does that mean they're alive? The food disappears, but I've never seen the cats. So I'm, I, I'm, don't ask me to watch your cats. I haven't seen them, but I think they're alive. And then our dogs, I, I do see them, and I've been feeding them, and we have a new puppy. So it's good to be with some humans uh, today. And I am uh, full of uh, the beauty of, of Romans 12. And my prayer um, is that you would be increasingly from last week, today, and next week, uh, full of the beauty of Romans 12. Uh, Christ followers, we are called to have a certain kind of love, a certain kind of love that is extraordinary. It's, it's supernatural. It, it, it can't be taught. I'm going to be preaching a sermon, and I have an outline But I I can't really tell you how to love the way that we're called to love in today's passage. I'm going to show you and we're going to look at God's Word. But it, it takes the Spirit of God to work in you to do what we're going to look at today. I'm I'm calling what is described in in this unit of Scripture, Romans 12. 9 through 21, and my section today is just 14 through 16. I'm calling it a gospel love. We could call it Christian love. We could call it a, put a, a bunch of different adjectives in front of it, but I'm, I'm calling it gospel love in light of Romans 1.16, the power of God, and, and this love that is, that is unlike the love of the world, the love that's in the world. And, and it's a good love in, in the world. I looked in my my big exhaustive dictionary uh, yesterday or the day before, and I looked up love, and there's, there's lots of great definitions of, of love. Just like every word in English or Greek, there's, there's a variety of ways that we use the word love. One of those in the dex- dictionary, in the English dictionary I looked at, was affectionate concern for the well-being of others. It's a great definition. But what we need as Christ followers What we need, what we should have in our dictionaries, if it's not there, you can write it in. We should uh, see something like this. Please see 1 Corinthians 13. Please see Romans 12. Please see other passages. In other words, to understand what this gospel love is, we have got to look at the New Testament. And although you're very familiar with this passage, I'm praying that you're going to have a freshness on on your heart and a longing on your heart to love in a way that that is really unnatural and is really impossible apart from the Spirit of God. This is what this sermon is about today. My aim for you and for me is to understand the importance of gospel love, what I'm calling gospel love, what's described in 1 Corinthians 13 in this poetic way, and what's described in Romans 12 in this, this rapid fire, more detailed and in many ways more convicting way. More convicting 
description of love in Romans 12. So I want us to understand it. I want us to see a few of the specifics. We're only looking at a few of them. And then ask God to give it to you, that you would actually live out this gospel love, that you would, that you would be a, a living sacrifice, that your mind would be renewed. Instead of loving in, in many of the good ways that the world loves, that you would actually love in a gospel way, in a supernatural way. And so my verses are, are, my text is 14 through 16, but to kind of get there, I want to go back briefly to verse 9. So this unit of scripture in Romans 12, there's a distinct unit here from verse 9 to 21. And let's just take a look on the screen at verse 9, the beginning of verse 9. I'm just going to look at the beginning of verse 9. And I put it up here on the New American Standard Bible. And for those of you that have this Bible, you probably have this version. You probably know this. But for those of you that don't, one of the features of the New American Standard Bible is it puts words that are not in the text, in the Greek text of Scripture, but are implied by the Greek text of Scripture, but they're not actually there. It puts those words in their printed versions of the Bible in italics. So... So I, I kept the italics that's in the printed version of the NASB. And so you see let and be is in italics. So those words aren't there, they're implied. And so they supply them because it doesn't make a lot of sense in English to just put love without hypocrisy. But that is essentially what is there at the beginning of verse 9. Now to be hyper wooden, wooden literally... Uh, what am I trying to say? To be like super wooden and artificial and just bring the Greek words over into English. This is literally what it says. The love without hypocrisy. And that without hypocrisy is one word. So Romans 12.9 begins with these three words. The love without hypocrisy. Or the love sincerity. Or the love genuineness. So this is important, and this is why I'm going back to verse 9. Because verse, the beginning of verse 9 is not one of these rapid-fire uh, bullets, if you will, that Paul is shooting out to describe what, what you need to do, and this is just one of them. This is the heading. This is the title. And there's a lot of reasons, and I don't want to lose you and go through them all, but there's a lot of reasons that this is the case. Let me just tell you one of them. So you want to hear one of them or 25 reasons why this is the title? Say one. Say one. See, I, 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 need, I need some feedback and encouragement. Preachers, we tend to go overboard in these things. But let me just give you one reason that you can see that this is the title of this whole unit to the end of chapter 12. Many of you know 1 Corinthians pretty well. 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. For those of you that know it well, a few of you do, what, what does he deal with right before love? What, what's the topic? What's he dealing with? S spiritual gifts. He's dealing with spiritual gifts. Then he says, let me show you a more excellent way. And then we get this famous 1 Corinthians 13 love chapter. Well, put your eyes back to verses 3 through 8 of Romans 12. What is he talking about here in 3 through 8? Church, talk to me. 
spiritual gifts. He's talking about spiritual gifts. And then he, in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, let me show you a more excellent way. And then he talks about love, not to diminish gifts, but the gifts were dividing the church because people were pushing this gift and this is the better gift and everyone should have this gift. And it was, it was causing pride. And he says, let me show you what it's about, mostly. Yes, gifts are important, use them, but it is about love. He is doing the same thing in a different way here in Romans 12. He has just talked about these gifts and he has said, use them. But now he has this heading and says, let me tell you about what gospel love looks like. Let me tell you what Christian love looks like. It is love without hypocrisy. It is love that is genuine. Now he's saying essentially two things here in the beginning of verse 9. He's saying one thing that's really obvious. That this, this love needs to be genuine. It needs to be of integrity. It needs to be no hypocrisy, literally, or against hypocrisy. It's a, it's a compound word just thrown together. This third word, this title, the love without hypocrisy. Now, what's intuitive here is that it, it, it's real and it's authentic. It, it has integrity. And he is saying that, but it, that isn't mostly what he's saying. So let me just give you an illustration here, what I think is intuitive, so you don't really need, need an illustration for it. But you, you guys know what a mountain bike is, right? So you could see this mountain bike that's just beautiful with this carbon fiber frame and it's all polished and it's all clean. It's ready to go out. My bike never looks like that, but some do. Um, uh, yeah, full suspension. Joe's bike looks like this sometimes. It's just beautiful, just all cleaned. You know, you've used the little brushes on it. But there's a massive, this Joe's bike doesn't look like this, but Joe's bike doesn't look like this. But there's, let's just imagine there's a massive crack in the bottom of the frame. And you can't see that. So that, that, that bike has no integrity. It has no genuineness. It, it, it is with hypocrisy. It is, it is, it's, it's not real. So Paul is saying that here, but he's actually saying something much stronger. His main point is not that, what I just said. What I just said is true. Let your love be genuine, Christ follower. In other words, your love should be in alignment with your heart. We can look like we love somebody, but inside we're, we're, we're angry at them. We're coveting what they have. We're, we're messed up. So yes, we, there should be a connection. We should have integrity, but that's mostly not what he's saying. So by this point, hopefully you're thinking, well, what is he saying? What is he saying with this title is I'm about to show you in rapid fire succession what without hypocrisy love looks like. Just like in 1 Corinthians 13. Boom, 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 all the way to verse 21. And so our response is, am I this? Am I this? So it's not so much, is there a crack in my frame? Is there a disconnect between my heart and my actions where I look like I'm really loving, but deep down, I really want to whoop into this person? That's not what he's getting at. He's getting at, look at the rest of these verses, and is this your life? That's whether you have a cracked frame or not. Whether your life reflects verse 9b to 21. 
So I'm just looking at 14 through 16. That's all we have time for. So let's move uh, over there to verse 14. So just the introduction here. Here's what gospel love or Christian love looks like. That's what that title, those three words mean. Verse 9a is a title for this unit where there is no verb even there. So, verse 14, here's one of the rapid-fire things. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Here's what gospel love looks like. The people who don't like you, you are called by God's word to bless. That is, that is what it looks like for your love to be without hypocrisy. That you bless those who hate you. Thomas Schreiner writes this. He says, the injunction to bless those who persecute us is one of the most revolutionary statements in the New Testament and, be carry, and can be carried out only by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, is this really important? Yes. Is this really central to who we are? Yes. Is this our reputation as believers? God, make this our reputation as Christ followers that we bless those who are opposed to us, those who persecute us, those who view Christ and the gospel and the Bible as enemies. Or maybe they don't even think that. They just think we're old-fashioned and kind of wacko, and they're against us. We're called to bless them. This is what it this is just one of the umpteen things I didn't list them all out from verse 9b to 21 of what it looks like for your love to be sincere or to be without hypocrisy. This, this isn't a peripheral thing. This is at the heart of Jesus. This is at the heart of the gospel. This is at the heart of Jesus' love shown on the cross. In Luke's account of the crucifixion, we have these words recorded that are on the screen. They're not in any of the other three Gospels. Jesus is without sin. His execution by crucifixion is without cause. He has every right, but we don't find uh, standing up for your rights here in, in, in Romans 12. We actually see the opposite. Jesus has every right to lay in to people, like legally or ethically. What does he do to his enemies? He prays for them. He's on the cross bleeding. Just, just working to breathe and suffering for the sins of me and you. And he prays, Father, forgive them. Who, who is them? I, I, I think it's everybody. I think it's the Jewish leadership that put them there. I think it's the, the, the soldiers that, that are actually doing the work. I think it's everybody there. 
forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And by God's grace, some of them were forgiven and saw what was about to happen over the next minutes, the next hours, the next three days, and they believed. And they were forgiven. He blessed them. He prayed for them. This is what God wants to do in you and me. He wants us to bless those who oppose us. He wants us to love them. Another commentator writes, Jesus thus intercedes for his enemies, portraying the very standard he sets for his disciples. He portrays it on the cross. He doesn't curse his opponents. He doesn't stand up for his rights. He willingly and joyfully For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. His love is evident even from the cross. He's calling his followers to have a kind of love that you don't read about in the dictionary. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. John Stott preaches to us this way, if the cruel torture of crucifixion could not silence our Lord's prayer for his enemies, what pain, pride, prejudice, or sloth could justify the silencing of ours, it should say, not ours, ours, without an H. Who typed this? Stott's point is that there is no rational basis for you and me to not pray for our enemies. Jesus prayed for and blessed his enemies. Love must be sincere. Love must be without hypocrisy. What does that look like? Boom, 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 boom. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Paul is summarizing what Jesus has already taught and his message, his sermons have spread. His Sermon on the Mount. He's not quoting it here. He's kind of summarizing it, but, but it, it's, it's what's behind verse 14 where Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Notice this is broad. If you're trying to rationalize and get out of this, well, we're not really under persecution. So, It's not just specifically persecution for righteousness sake. Love your enemies, whoever they are. And pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. And here's God's character. He causes his son, he causes the the son to, to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. That's his character. And he wants to see his character in you and me. The only way to do this, because it is so unnatural, is for his spirit to be at work in you and me to do this. I mean, if you really think about it, this is, this is like insane and crazy. So we might need some concrete thing to think about to see how, how outrageous, how outrageously beautiful this, this, this gospel love is. Uh, I was looking in, in this book yesterday, the day before. 
uh, updated version of Fox's uh, Book of the Martyrs, the Voices of the Martyrs version. In the 1960s, Cuban dictator Fidel Castro labeled Catholics and Protestants that were living on that island social scum and forced lay people and clergy into labor camps under inhumane conditions. I saw some of the pictures of those camps. I wasn't really even aware of that until I was reading this a couple days ago. I'm bringing this up not because I think any of us are going to be in this situation, because I don't think we will if you stay in this country. I, I don't think you will. I bring this up because I want us to put ourselves as much as we can in one of those camps in the 60s, just off the coast of Florida. We haven't really had this in our country, but just off the coast of Florida, we had this going on. Persecution with a capital P because of Christ. God's word was saying to those people, bless those who persecute you. How do you bless Fidel Castro? If you're a Cuban believer in Jesus in prison, how does Jesus pray for those who are killing him? I'm trying to help you see the extraordinariness of gospel love, of what he calls us to. Our persecution has a really, really small P. We have it, but it's very small. I've never been to visit someone in prison. Well, I have, but I've never been to visit someone in prison for the sake of the gospel over here at the Auburn Jail or in Southern California or other prisons that I've been to. Never been there to visit someone who's there because of the gospel. God is calling us. No matter what situation we're in, whether a Cuban in a labor camp in the 1960s or someone in a much more comfortable setting living where we live, in 2021. Gospel love is for those who are against you. I'm talking about you personally. Put your name in there. Those who are against Mike, those particularly, those humans who are against Mike, Christ calls me to bless them. So love must be sincere. This is what sincere love looks like for the Christ follower. We don't find this in a dictionary. This is an outrageous kind of love. God, make us, by your Spirit, able to love those who are against us. Let's move on. We're at verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. This is the second rapid-fire shot Coming from the heading, love must be sincere. Love is without hypocrisy. Here's the second shot in verses 14 through 16. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Well, this sounds pretty good <laughs> compared to the previous one, right? You get some smiles or something here. You're like, this one sounds pretty good. But this one is actually very hard too, depending on the setting that we're in. Now, if all is well in the world and 
your body is healthy and your bank account is full and your children or your grandchildren or your spouse love Jesus with their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, then, then yeah, it is pretty easy to rejoice with those who rejoice. But few of us are in that situation. So rejoicing with those who rejoice is actually difficult, taking supernatural grace as well. Give you some examples here. Let's suppose you're a Christian student and you're not doing very well in school. And you've got another friend who's a Christian student and they're doing really well in school. And they're, you know, just getting their report card or their grades back or whatever, and they're just rejoicing in the success that they're having in their academic work. And you're not so much. Rejoice with those who rejoice. That is a difficult thing to do. Because naturally, we envy that. I want that. And then the next level is, actually, I don't want you to even have that because I don't have that, and that's making me feel terrible, so I wish you didn't have that. That's our natural response. But gospel love rejoices with those who rejoice, irrespective of the circumstance that we're in. Imagine you're a Christian parent. Imagine your children are not really loving Jesus with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you run into, you know, super Christian parent at Missions Coffee. And, you know, all their kids just got back from a mission trip in Afghanistan and Iraq. And led thousands of people to Christ. I'm being a little silly here, but and, and you know what I'm trying to say. That they're, they're, they're hey, our kids are doing this incredible gospel work. Rejoice with those who rejoice. How can I rejoice with those parents who have these apparently super children? How do I rejoice with them? God's word calls us to do that, and God gives us the ability by His grace only to accept circumstances that we're in and rejoice with those who rejoice. Now let's imagine you're a Christian realtor. And man, the market is hot. But your phone is a ringing. And your Christian realtor friend is calling you, I got so many listings, I need some help. Can, can you help me with, with some of these? You know, just kind of, you know, I just need some help. I mean, I'm still want to get paid for them, but will, will you just come and help? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Th this isn't so easy. To rejoice with those who are full of joy, especially when they have what you do not. We need God's Spirit to help us to rejoice with those who rejoice. It's, it's not so easy to actually do this. So we have to pray, God, help me to love you from my circumstance and rejoice with those who are rejoicing, even if I'm not rejoicing right now. And when God does that, you will be free. You will recognize you're, you're, we're not in charge of our kids, our grandkids, of anyone. And he doesn't want you to mope and complain and covet and be envious. He wants you to rejoice with those who rejoice. This is what love looks like. This is what sincere or without hypocrisy love looks like. Rejoicing with those full of joy, especially when they have 
what you do not. So back to the text. Next one is mourn with those who mourn or weep with those who weep. Now again, if you're weeping or mourning already, then this one can be not too difficult. But this can be extremely difficult when you are filled with joy to enter into the life of someone who is weeping or mourning, whatever they're weeping or whatever they're mourning about. This is what Christian love looks like. If your love is sincere, if it is without hypocrisy, as a Christ follower, this is what it looks like. You are willing to enter in to the suffering of other Christ followers who are suffering and mourning and in pain even when you're not in pain or suffering yourself. There are probably more, but I know of three wives who are weeping in our congregation. None of them are here today because their husbands have serious failing health. On Friday, a couple elders uh, went to the home of one of these wives, and it was hard to to weep, to mourn, to enter in when you kind of want to go on with your day and not be in that. This isn't fun, but we are a family a family where we enter in to those who are suffering and mourning and weeping, whatever the cause. And, and this, is, this is what gospel love looks like. Is your love sincere? Is it without hypocrisy? This is what it looks like. I was on the phone with one of these wives yesterday. I, I, I called her as I was, I mean, I'm, I'm praying over this and reading this and the Lord prompted me to call one of them. I asked her permission to mention her in the sermon. I called Carol Love yesterday. And Ed, her husband of many years, um, they're no longer going to be living in the same home because he needs care. So she's not here today because she's with Ed. And so even on a phone call, God help me to enter in to her, to love her, to, to you know, one of the things I said to her was, yeah, you shouldn't be here today. You need to be with that. This is what God calls us to as Christ followers, to a supernatural, radical kind of love. Rejoicing with those who rejoice and mourning with those who mourn is often extremely, extremely difficult to do. And we need his spirit to help us. Let's move on to verse 16, the beginning of verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with one another. Let's just take that part, beginning of verse 16. What what he is getting at here is that we are to live in harmony with other believers, especially when you disagree with them about things that it's okay to disagree about in areas of of liberty. We have massive liberty in the Christian life. 
We don't all have to line up uh, on, on every little thing. There are actually, I think, a few things, not many things that we cannot be, there are just a few things that we can't be flexible on, that we have to be in agreement on. Things like the resurrection of Jesus. Th- things that are essential. So we've got a lot of diversity just in our small congregation. What does gospel love look like? It looks like living in harmony with other believers, especially when you disagree with them about stuff that it's okay to disagree about. It seems like whatever is behind all this, the enemy, uh, th- 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 this, is, this is massive right now in our church, in our country. Living in harmony with other believers, especially when you disagree about areas of liberty. Now, to stay away from negative things, which as I pray over this, you know, like, where do I go with this? There's a lot of places I could go. And uh, I, I thought about my own life, and, and one of, uh, looking back on my Christian life, one of the, some of the greatest experiences I had were in college, Christian college and seminary, where there were believers from all over the world that I, a few of them I got to be close friends with. And so I thought about my friend Alex from Romania, who I got to be close with when I was in college. And we lived in harmony with one another. We spent a ton of time together. We both loved Jesus very much. But man, we had really different backgrounds and experiences. And I was frankly kind of intimidated and and really looked up to him. He fled persecution in communist Romania to come to America. That gives you a little different perspective on the Christian life. He, he, I mean, I was not born with a silver spoon in my mouth, but compared to his life, I was. And yet he had a lot of really differences, uh, his Christian community growing up in, in Romania, in addition, to per, uh, in addition to persecution with a capital P going on, where he risked his life to get out of that country, um, stuck in a container near death for I don't remember how long. I wasn't going to go there. Where I was going to go is his background. Like The churches that he grew up in, they're segregated, men and women. Like, absolutely segregated. Yeah, maybe we should start that next week. Husbands, sons over here, wives, daughters, grandchildren over here. So it was hard for him like to come into our churches because he's like, this is kind of messed up. <laughs> um, but he, he crossed over that. We have liberty, I think. Can I get an amen about how we sit? Like, I think we have liberty. Like if I went to Romania, I wouldn't want to sit on the lady's side. Well, maybe back then I would have wanted to sit on the lady's side, but I shouldn't have wanted to sit on the lady's side, right? I would sit with the guys. It's okay. They had head coverings. You know, generally, we don't. I think that's okay. We, we can agree to disagree about that. And, and, and so we, we lived in harmony with one another out of our love for Jesus, even though we disagreed about these things. And then in, in seminary, I had a friend, I've told you guys about Sujay. Part of the Christian culture in India, where he was from, are arranged marriages. Maybe we should start that here at Cornerstone. Arranged marriages. <laughs> start with mine. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see how that, I'll mention that when, when they get home today. I mean, he would get offers in the mail. 
<laughs> I mean, it was really fun. Remember when you used to like go to the mailbox and get mail? I mean, we still do, but like actually get letters from people, not just bills and stuff before texting. And used to go to the mailbox and CJ would have like multiple offers with pictures of girls from fathers in India. Like some of the I was married, but some of the guys are single. They're like, hey, give me that. I want to see that. Give me that. He fasted frequently. It's not really part of my background growing up. Live in harmony with one another. This is what gospel love looks like. Is our love genuine? Is it without hypocrisy? Here's the metric. Romans 12, 9b through 21. Live in harmony. With those who are different than us, we do need to agree. We do have to draw lines on certain things, like who God is. In our statement of faith, we believe in one God, creator of all things, holy, infinitely perfect, and eternally existing in a loving unity of three equally divine persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Sujay and, and Alex and I, we, we, we were 100% on that, who God is, Father, Son, and Spirit. We we're 100% on the Bible without error, complete revelation of His will, ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. It's to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. Trusted in all that it promises. As followers of Christ, we've got to be united in certain things, these kinds of things. We need to be united in the gospel, that it is the message to the world for salvation. Christ died for sinners and rose on the third day, of which we are all. And when we repent and believe that gospel, we're saved. We are united in that. Live in harmony with other believers, especially when you disagree in areas of liberty. Live in harmony with one another. Back to verse 16. Let's finish up here. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. So there's, there's kind of a sandwich here with don't be proud at the beginning, don't be conceited at the end, and then in the middle, be willing to associate with people of low position. So let's start with that middle. Associate with Christians outside of your homogeneous sweet spot. I mean, we, we are all birds of a feather. It's not natural for me to hang out with a persecuted Christian from Romania who barely speaks my language. It's not, that's not normal. That was one of the blessings of being in, a, in an environment where I'm living and, and have opportunity to be friends with someone like that. What this verse is getting at, I believe, is the reality that people of a certain income or with a certain amount of power tend not to associate with people of another sort of income or a lack of power. I'll give you an example. Let's say you're a, a Christian businesswoman and you own a hotel. Probably aren't going to naturally be hanging out with the people that clean the rooms in your hotel. That, that's probably not the crowd you're hanging out with. That may be who's calling, but you're not hanging out with them. What this passage is saying is the metric or the measurement for gospel love 
is that you be willing to associate with people of low position. Now, don't hear that these people are less than. This is the Bible being real here. Every human being is of equal value, whether you're in the womb or in your last days of life, whether you own a hotel or whether you clean the rooms of the hotel, whether you're black or white, rich or poor. We are all of equal value. We are all made, every human being, Christian or non-Christian, made in the image of God. This passage isn't saying that some people have it and some don't. It's saying some Christ followers don't associate with people of low position. And that ain't how we roll as Christ followers. In the church in Colossae, there were slave owners and slaves Worshiping together as brothers and sisters. Slavery is evil. Should have gone, it was done away with. I'm not endorsing slavery. You get what I'm trying to say, church? People who normally wouldn't hang out together are loving each other and hanging out together. This is part of the metric to look at and see if your love is sincere. Or is your love hypocritical? It's not saying that hotel owner must make best friends with one of the maids. It's not saying that. It's saying be willing to love and associate. Maybe you will become best friends. Maybe you won't. There's freedom and liberty about who our friends are. Be willing to associate with people of low position associate with Christ followers outside of your homogeneous sweet spot. This is sandwiched with do not be proud or do not be conceited. So let's see, is there a relationship between those things? Is there a relationship between rich Christians only hanging out with rich Christians and pride and conceit? Is there a relationship between poor Christians only hanging out with poor Christians and pride and conceit? There is. That's why it's here in verse 16. We have been given a very powerful portrait of what gospel love looks like in Romans 9, Romans 12, verse 9 through 21. There is rapid fire, shots, joyful, beautiful shots sent out to us to what gospel love should look like in your life and my life. If you are not regularly in God's word, we have one more week in this unit. I want to pray and ask you and encourage you to meditate on Romans 12, 9 through 21 in light of what I've said today. This week, hopefully you already have a plan. You're in your Bible tomorrow. Maybe you just probably should just keep doing that. If you're not doing that, I'm I'm asking you to consider meditating at length on Romans 12, 9b through 21 with love must be without hypocrisy as a heading over all of it. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, and now these three remain faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. There is an emphasis on gospel love, on Christian love. And this emphasis 
Paul is hitting hard in Romans 12 because he wants us to rely on God. The good news is that we can actually do this with God's help. He is with us and he will enable you to do love in miraculous ways. Let's bow our heads and pray and ask him to help us. Father in heaven, as we think about your son praying on the cross for those who had no justification or basis or ethics or authority to do what they did. And he blessed them and he prayed for them in the midst of his suffering. Lord, I pray that you would help us to look at Romans 12 as a measurement of what our gospel love should look like and that we would be on our knees praying that you would help us to joyfully live this way. In Jesus' name.